0: All-Inclusive, a podcast on inclusion, innovation, and social justice with Jay Ruderman. Hi, I'm Jay Ruderman, and this is All-Inclusive, a podcast focused on inclusion, innovation, and social justice. RJ Mitty skyrocketed to fame at the age of 13 when he landed the role of Brian Cranston's son, Walter White Jr., or Flynn, on the hit show, Breaking Bad. Like his character, RJ also has cerebral palsy, which he was diagnosed with at the age of three. However, that has never deterred his drive to carve out his own unique path in Hollywood. Since Breaking Bad ended in 2013, RJ has starred in over 20 films and TV shows modeled for The Gap, and was a presenter for the 2016 Rio Paralympic Games. In his most recent film, Triumph, RJ plays real-life inspiration Mike Coffey, a determined high school senior who strives to be a wrestler despite having cerebral palsy. Throughout his career, RJ has used his platform to help remove the stigma associated with disabilities and advocate for more inclusion in Hollywood. R.J., it's a pleasure to welcome you to All Inclusive.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you all so much for making time for me, and uh, I'm very excited to be a part of this.
0: So, R.J., you were in one of the most celebrated shows on television, Breaking Bad, and you played Brian Cranston's son, who has cerebral palsy. Yes. How did you end up landing the role of Walt Jr.?
1: Like any audition or role, I went in. I went in for it. Um, At the time, I was living in Los Angeles. Um, I was working as an extra on shows like Hannah Montana and Everybody Hates Chris and Weeds and 7th Heaven as an extra. And if you move to Los Angeles and you you don't join a gang, you don't act, and you don't go to school, uh, you don't really have any business there. So I was acting to kind of meet kids my own age and, and make some money and my agent, and my manager called me and they're like, Hey, they're looking for someone. We really think it fits you. And the breakdown said, uh, dark hair, big eyebrows and mild cerebral palsy. And I'm like, that's me. Um, and went in, apparently they love me. So they hired me and, and you know, I, I, auditioned four times in Los Angeles and then one day they said, all right, well we're going to fly you to New Mexico cause we're already there. They already started filming the show, the pilot episode. I was um 13, turning 14, this was like 2005, went down there, and it came down to me and one other individual, and went in, uh, read for Vince, and read for everyone, and then came back 30 minutes later and did a a screen test with Brian and Anna for, for a scene, and about another hour later, I, I got the call from Vince and said, hey, RJ, you you got the role. Congratulations. Uh, we're very excited for you to be a part of it. And pretty much was like, hey, so you need to head back to LA and, and come back because we're already filming.
0: <laughs> so it was really quick from being chosen for the role to jumping into the pilot. That was That happened really, really fast. So the show was awesome. And your character, I mean, you were great in it. You said you were thirteen years old. Yeah. You moved to LA. Did you want to be an actor? I, I think I read that your sister was also interested in acting.
1: Yeah. So the way that I kind of got brought into the industry was um, my sister at the time, who was one, and an agent saw her at a water park, and this agent was like, "Oh, I cast this, and I, I do this." But initially, my my role now is is casting director, and I'm in the middle of a project, and I'm looking at a bunch of redhead babies at the time and doing it for a Lucille Ball campaign at Universal. And again, we're at a water park in Texas. And uh, she's like, here's my information. We, they exchanged. She's like, I really would like to audition her and see her in LA. And a few weeks later, we got a call saying that you know, they wanted to use her for the campaign and please come to Los Angeles and we'll put up your room and board. And we all went as a family, me, my mom, my uh, my sister, and went out there for that. But that's kind of, again, why I, I started acting, because I didn't really know anyone. I didn't really have a job or, or have friends. And, and that was kind of the way that I I got my friends and work and, and things, is is just start acting. And it just turned into a career for me.
0: So I understand that Vince Gilligan, who was the creator of Breaking Bad, was looking to cast... An actor with disabilities correct but maybe you can talk about before you got Breaking Bad what was your experience walking into auditions as someone with cerebral palsy and what what were the reactions you were getting in the industry
1: I I was very lucky that that I got a lot of occupational therapy my physical therapy and and all the other therapies along the way um, at a very early age and so I really didn't have too many that I saw physical limitations but you know, I didn't really in the beginning stages didn't tell people I had cerebral palsy. And and now the society's a little bit different. But I'd go in and they would kinda of look at me a little funny. <laughs> and I would eventually though, at the end of my audition, be like, Oh, by the way, I have cerebral palsy. I never used my or had my disability to me be a negative. Um it only for me added to my characters and amplified what I was doing and I never really thought about it at the time, and I would just go in and do my best and walk out of the room, and I'd be like, that's that's what I did, that's what I could do, and, and hopefully they liked it. And so sometimes it would be viewed as a positive, and sometimes it would be viewed as a negative. Again, this is 2004, 2005, and you know, disability was viewed very differently then, and it still is viewed differently in, in some circles, but for the most part, I only got positivity out of it. Um, never really had too much of the negative.
0: So, in retrospect, does it seem to you now that, that Vince Gilligan really, you know, was sort of ahead of his time in wanting to authentically cast the role?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people, and I think there still is a lot of people that want to authentically cast their characters and bring their characters into a more real setting. I think there's a lot of still kickback on that. Still a lot of people that are like, no, no, no. We wanna fit the check boxes. We wanna fit what we're what we know works. Vince had great insight when it came to disability, specifically cerebral palsy, is that he grew up with someone. He had a friend in college who had C P and and that's when actually he based my character off of him. And he passed away and and really wanted to keep his friend alive. And that's what really, I think, inspired Walt Jr.
0: Well, it was an amazing role and you were the perfect person for it. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about authenticity in film and TV and why you've advocated that people with disabilities should play roles of disabilities and and we should see more authentic representation.
1: My belief on it is that Film, television, movies, music, all, all this, this entertainment industry is a, is a tool. And this tool can either be used for positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement. And when we spend the majority of our lives in front of a screen, especially now, what we see really impacts how we treat others, how we treat ourselves and what we do with our lives. And when you have shows that, that show positive and not always when I say positive reinforcement, not always a a happy go lucky guy, but just real people with with these types of lives, it really gives people a new perspective it gives people a new view and and allows people to maybe not be so um defensive or afraid to to ask questions or want to to befriend people that they may view as abnormal or someone that they've never really encountered when they're like oh i've seen i've seen it on this so i know a little bit it's like it it gives that that bridge right where everyone can kind of meet in the middle with it and, and talk about it and be informed and 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 there's people that talk today about oh i saw this and i was never the same and That is the greatest gift of television and and film, is that that new way of thinking, this new version of knowledge that necessarily you don't have to experience firsthand, but you get to watch the journey. You get to learn from that journey and evolve with those characters as they take these paths. And not everyone gets to walk those paths, but if you can see it and learn from it and find your path, eventually you can learn down to walk it, or learn to walk down it.
0: That's so powerful. And I think uh, Michelle Obama once said that we learn about people who are not like us through television. Yeah. Do you think that the character of Walt Jr. helped raise awareness to disability? And what do you think that was the impact of the role?
1: I always like to think it, it made an impact in the community. I think, you know, Walt Jr. I feel like was the very first character that that was one of those characters that wasn't disabled. He may have had a disability. People may view him as disabled. But if you look at Walt Jr. really wasn't disabled. He didn't really. He, he faced challenges, but he faced them head on. And he was put in the situations that, that he had to overcome, not just through his disability, but through his, his family dynamic. And I, I really believe that having a character of Walt Jr. really helped the community over the years when there really wasn't content like it. Breaking Bad wasn't based on disability. It wasn't based on Walt Jr.'s. It was just a kid in a family trying to get by, trying to live a life. You can only hope that your work has positive reinforcement in communities, and I believe it did. And I started Walt Jr. and Breaking Bad to to give me the opportunity to, to work with with groups like you and many others and and raise awareness and talk about experiences and, and share things that, that people don't always get to hear. And for me, that's, that's a great opportunity, a great honor to be able to take my stories in, in my life and, and use it as an example for others to grow and grow past me.
0: Well, RJ, you're a great advocate and you've had such a big difference in the industry and in getting people to think differently but you know that we're still, you know, living in a time when you see many actors uh, playing disability. And in fact, uh, half of the actors who've won the Best Actor Award at the Academy Awards in the past 30 years are able-bodied actors who've won it for playing a disability. And, you know, one thing that really hits home is in 2017, there was a movie called The Upside and Brian Cranston played a character in a wheelchair and he was asked about it by the disability community about an able-bodied person playing a disabled role, and he called it a business decision. Did you ever talk to him about that, and maybe you know give him your perspective on on that?
1: When all that kind of blew up, I kind of was like, I'm just gonna let this this settle down. And the thing about it is is like, I I think it's so important that individuals get the opportunity to audition that. Accurate representation is key. The one thing that I, I do and have noticed over the the 15, almost 20 years of working in the industry is that it's all a business decision and sacrifices that, that I've had to make to actually keep a job and, and jobs where I was like, I'm not going to do that. And then say, well, we don't really want you if you're not going to do that have always been the... The, the business decisions you have to make, and, and it's not always up to you. And I, and I think when you have someone like a Brian Cranston or Jamie Foxx or a, a Forrest Gump type character and all these other entities, I think there's a fine line of what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. But for me, I think the upside is that it does get to the masses. Is there a better way of doing it? Yes. But if we can get more individuals to think like that and to be like, well, I don't really want to see able-bodied actors playing uh, disabled roles, and it allows voices to come together in a mainstream platform to say, hey, no, we want this to stop, I think is a great opportunity to get those voices out there, to get those voices heard. To me, though, anyone can be disabled. I mean, I'm already technically disabled, but I could walk out of this room, trip, and break my neck falling down and i'll spend the rest of my life in a chair or something and anyone can join this club at any part of their life and i i think we need to have that realization that this is more of a human connection than, than most things that we deal with on a daily basis and what we do both either positive or negative allows us To look at that and and look at it objectively after the fact and go, okay, we know this is what we don't want. We know this is what we do want. So now how can we take this information into other projects, taking mainstream media and having them look back and reflect and go, okay, we got backlash. We We got negativity on this. All right. How do we narrow that down? How do we do this. And again, keep in mind, this is all about money. This really has nothing to do with the community. This has nothing to do with with inspiring people. This has to do with, with net asset. And and so how do we, getting them to think, how do we keep the net asset but inspire people and bring honesty and truth and, and these individuals that need the job, deserve the job, and should have the job to these forefronts? We have to have that that we don't like this to know what we want to evolve it from.
0: Right. I think there's so many different aspects of what you've just said. I mean, you know, the advocacy plays a role. Yes. So that when people, when activists come out and say, hey, this isn't right, I think the industry does listen to that. But then there's there's also the discussions, you know, within the industry. And our foundation has had success in working with the four major studios to get them to commit to auditioning actors with disabilities. I know that my friend Danny Woodburn, who's also an actor with a disability, did have a dinner with, with Brian Cranston, you know, yeah. after this and, and had a discussion with him and explained to him, you know, why it's concerning. But I know we're not at the point now where we're going to have every role of disability played by an actor with a disability. But I do think, you know, as, as you've pointed out in the past, it's an issue of representation, and it's an issue of people seeing themselves on film. I'm wondering what was your relationship like with, you know, Brian Cranston, Aaron Paul? Do you still keep in touch with members of the cast of Breaking Bad?
1: Yeah, I do. I ironically keep in contact more with the bad guys, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when when I was on the show, you know, we we have a very open um, door friendship, and and anything and everything that we could ever me, they could call me and I could call them. Again, keep in mind, I was I was thirteen, right? Everyone was late twenties minimum. And so my my relationship really wasn't as strong, I guess, with with everyone else's on on the um after side of set because I was I was a minor. I was a child and so so I think that kind of um that kind of played into it. But for the most part we were very very family dynamic, very open. I mean, again, I could call any of them anytime, and they would they would either answer or return my call, <laughs> which is nice. And so, from the group to acting to the producing side of it to the the crew and everyone in between, it was a very big family dynamic.
0: Maybe you can talk a little bit about you know what the business of acting because you like Breaking Bad. You're together for years, and and you're doing this show. But it's a business, and then it ends, and people go on to their careers, and they they do another show, or they do a movie. What's that like? Because most people are in a job, and they're in a job for years, and that's what they do. But maybe you can talk a little bit what it's like to be a working actor in the industry.
1: Yeah. You know, it's not easy to build these lives and relationships, and then it's like, all right, well, I might never see you again, but we had fun doing it while we lasted, right? (laughs) I think it's very special to be able to to go into these characters and go into these worlds and and create and live inside of this this imaginary world and then it's over. (laughs) But I I love it. That's one of my favorite things is I like to portray different people and different things and get out there and and be different things. It's not an easy business and you know a lot a lot has changed over the last ten years through social media and through different um, new media and all these other aspects that we face now where you don't really lose your relationship as much as you did in the past. Where, you know, people are always on on FaceTimes and, and interviews and podcasts and, and when we really didn't have those then we live in a very different time from when from when I started to where we are now and I'm just very interested to see the evolution of television, and film, and the, the impact it will leave behind for future generations, and that's one of the things is that when you have a show like Breaking Bad or I, any any kind of show that's continued on after the ending of it that, that really still brings everyone together is truly special and, and, and truly something that can change uh, people and lives. And, you know, the business, again, is not easy lots of auditions you know a lot of rejections still and it doesn't change you know people think oh once you get the show it gets easy right no that's where it actually starts getting harder and that's where it starts becoming you're more accountable for what you do and what you say and you're more accountable for the roles that you portray and it only evolves it escalates from there i think people sometimes forget that it's an extraordinary business i'm gonna go work for one month and it's over. As you grow, you learn who you'll see again and who you won't see. But, but building the relationships and having a positive impact with your peers, having a positive impact with your, with your fans and, and your community, to me, is, is one of the most important things about our job and, and what we do is building those relationships and realizing you still have to have fun with it. But at the end of the day, it's still a profession.
0: So RJ, you seem like wise beyond your years and, and that, you know, you understand your place in the industry and the impact that you would have on your fans, on the public. How did you learn that? I mean, did someone, you know, pull you aside and say, let me teach you how to be successful in this industry? You know, since you were 13, when you started on Breaking Bad, I mean, did someone like Brian Cranston pull you aside and say, hey... Let me give you some tips, or you know, let me help you become a better actor,
1: yes and no, um uh, many people over the years were big influences in my decisions and where I moved and for the most part though, um it was kind of like, yeah, here you go, and then they dumped you in a pit of wolves, and either one you get torn apart or two you you become a wolf and and that's kind of where a lot of my my firsthand experience came through was was just being um, put in the meat grinder and came out still whole apparently. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think it, it's one of those things where like people can tell you things. people can give you advice and, and the advice could be the best advice in the world, but if you don't, if you don't understand it or you don't live by it, it's really hard for it to work for you. Um, you know, everyone's different. Everyone's lives are different. You know, I grew up with a lot of responsibility, um, at a very young age. And so for me, it was really about my biggest thing was always my priorities and what I wanted to prioritize first, be it my career, my family, or my, or, or medical or whatever that may be. It wasn't always, um, looked upon positively when I, when I made some decisions on, Choosing my work or my my family, um, and that was kind of always a bummer to me because I'm fairly family oriented, so I always pick my family over my job. But I, I really think it came from just learned experience. A lot of my a lot of my stuff is is um, learning on the job type of stuff. <laughs> many people, like you mentioned, Danny Woodburn and Alan Rucker, and uh, many other people like that. So when when you take into consideration. My Breaking Bad family they taught me a lot it gave me a lot of tools and information on on, on acting and sets and we had a, a cast and crew of 500 million dollar episode um, right like it, it cost money these were these were big big money things and it taught me those types of ways to be a part of a set like that what, it, what it's like to have the, the responsibility of a regular character a recurring character on a TV show that that had graphic content and content that really wasn't positive content until later after the show was done you know when i first started breaking bad the first two seasons um, i wasn't allowed to go to a lot of the kids parties <laughs> i wasn't allowed to do a lot of things because they were like oh you're on that show about meth and it was like i was like yeah but it's so much more than that and and so there was it was a lot of for me learning the, the both sides of the coin, the negative coin and the positive coin of, of what I want to be. What I'm personally trying to do, and this is the biggest thing for, for anyone that I recommend acting or, or not acting, it's, it's find what you want to truly do, like right? And, and that doesn't have to be tomorrow. But what it does is find that moral compass of like, this is where I want to go, and this is my circumstance.
0: <laughs> well, you've had so much experience now and it sounds like you've really been able to get your priorities straight sure I'm wondering like what your take is now on uh, disability representation in the industry is it different than when you started and what advice would you give to someone with a disability that wants to get into acting and how do they go about it
1: yeah I mean it is very different <laughs> um, it's pretty much night and day I' tell you I'll tell you right now if because I remember when YouTube and all the the vines and social medias were were coming out and I was I actually was told one time that if you start doing that we will drop you as a client I remember when it was very negative to put yourself out there and to to do what what now is the market a lot of the things that, that people have now, Used to be very frowned upon, and now it's the only way to get a job, and in in building that fan base and having those views and, and doing all these things, and I, I do see a a very big positive growth in diversification in media opportunities for individuals, and not just for people with disabilities, but like across the board when it comes to accessing the industry. Um, there's many different ways now versus. The, the two ways that you could do before is drop everything and go to Los Angeles or New York and start a being a starving actor because that's kind of the where I started was it was like there was really no phones no media none of those things that that someone if you were in if you were in Raleigh North Carolina like I am now there really wasn't an industry here now there's an industry here now I could go online and apply across the world. And, and I recommend for people that want to get into the industry and want to start learning about the industry, you know, everyone has Facebook, everyone has Twitter, everyone has Instagram, all these, all, all these forms of media and, and start creating that, that individual you want to be. Start creating and showing your life in a way that that is going to be sadly appealing to masses. Not sadly appealing, just sadly that you have to, you kind of have to do that now. And, and so I think that's a great way. I recommend extra work. That was my big backbone was extra work and classes. Um, I, had a, I had a talent manager at the time named Madison Witt who was kind of my mentor and teacher and taught me many different forms of acting across the board and, and learning that and really was doing that again to only meet kids my own age because I didn't have an avenue. My first two months in Los Angeles, I got robbed trying to make friends. Um and so I always highly recommend um extra work, take classes, find your community, um, find find those people that are going to to raise you up versus put you down and and just enjoy it. You know, again though, this is a business. Always remember that this is trillion dollar industry that doesn't just make money but alters minds, alters spirits, allows people to see things and feel things that they couldn't do without it. And and there is a responsibility and an obligation you have to your fans and to the people that see your works. And try to remember that when you're out there doing your things, but at the same time, have fun, enjoy it, and, and don't be afraid to put yourself out there no matter
0: who you are. You know, talking about the business of the industry, which it's definitely a business, you know, one of the recent um, white papers that we put out, we commissioned a survey of the public fairly extensive survey that um, said that people would pay more to see authentic representation. And I think maybe that's the time that we're moving into, that people want to see reality, even in, in yeah. fiction, they want to see people who really are like those people. And so, you know, the bottom line of, of the white paper and the survey was was that people would be willing to spend billions of dollars more to see that. And I think slowly the studios are internalizing that message. And that leads me to your latest film, Triumph, which is the uh, story of um, Mike Coffey. Yes. And uh, who was a teenager with cerebral palsy in the eighties and, and wanted to join the high school wrestling team. Tell us about the movie.
1: Um, You mentioned Michael Coffey, the writer, creator character initially. And uh, he created this story to as a dream of his to be able to portray in the screen and to show kids um, that they they can achieve what they want to achieve. This story is about a young man with cerebral palsy who lives in a different time, a time where disability is viewed more as a as a disability, as an illness, as something that oh, we're we're going to kind of stay away from, you know. And but really, this is a kid that just needs an opportunity. to to show what he's capable of to show his life and a single dad doesn't really have a lot of friends and it's his last year at school and he really wants to be able to do this he wrestled when he was younger and he got injured and he didn't get seriously injured but injured enough where everyone was like no he's disabled you can't let him do that anymore but it was a dream of his and he wanted to achieve it and so through this journey he Starts trying to achieve his dream before he feels that he won't be able to, to get the opportunity again. And because of that journey, he makes friends. He, he faces bullies. He handles the challenges that he's been facing his whole life head on. Because he's like, this is my dream. This is my goal. This is what I want to do. And when you start doing that in real life, all the things that you've been avoiding... All the all the challenges and 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 weights of other people's voices start getting louder because they're like, no, we we've been protecting you for so long, but but really it comes down to this is his dream and his goal, and he won't stand by that anymore. And I think it's a very special story created by someone who really had the heart um, to take his life and and make it a reality, make it a film and. You know, that's one of my favorite things about my industry. Every movie you see, every every story you read isn't just an uh, entertainment piece. It's someone's dream. It's someone's life. And what other business allows you to, to make a dream a reality, to immortalize your life and story? And And really, it's only our industry, the entertainment industry that does that. This individual really did a, a made a dream come true, and I was very lucky to be able to, to make it happen and pull it together. We've been working on it for like seven years now, and, uh, and I'm, I'm so happy it's finally getting out and that people are looking at it and people are interested in it. I was a little concerned that people were going to be like, what is this? But it turned out people actually really like it, and people really found it enjoyable. It's very interesting that through all the hiccups that this film has faced over the over the years, it's still alive and well. You know most films that that have the issues that we faced when it came to, to finding actors, to getting budgets to locations and everything else, we had our battles. but the movie is still alive and still growing and, and the academy has even looked into it to be potentially nominated for for one and uh, i'm just very like honored that this movie is still out there this movie is still growing and despite other people trying to stop it or to devalue it or to to cut get their cut out of it 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 has its own entity it has its own life and it's still growing
0: well it'd be nice to see an actor uh with a disability who's authentic and having that disability uh be considered uh for an Oscar since the last person with a disability a visible disability to win an Oscar was Marley Matlin, and that was yeah. decades ago. Let me talk about bullying because it's something you brought up and it's a it's a big part of the film. I watched the film did you like it I did like it I did like it i like I like all your stuff. Thank you I know you've been bullied in the past and and I and I know that you've given some advice on on how you've dealt with bullies, yeah, so maybe you can just you know repeat the advice that you give and and, and how you've dealt with that because I think it's a great approach
1: yeah hundred percent you never not get bullied at some point of your life <laughs> like there's always a bully out there. It could be either at home, at work, on the street, whatever it may be as an adult. We just don't call it bullying. But um but it happens. And I and I find no matter what you're facing or the challenges you're facing, find those people that you can confide in. Find those people that, that are going to raise you up and, and don't be afraid to, to ask questions and stand up for what you believe in and who you are as an individual. You know, bullying is something that really traumatize someone how many times have you been like I really love this and then someone say that's stupid you should stop and then you stop and you never do it again but it was something that you loved and who would have known if that could have turned into something great if someone is bullying you or someone's trying to to devalue you find that person that you can confide in and figure out how you can either one handle it or remove yourself from the situation and, and talk to your friends, talk to your peers, talk to the people that you care about. Even talk to the bully. Be like, why are you doing this? What's going on with this? Because a lot of people that are being bullies are being bullied. You, you don't grow up with hate. You don't grow up being these types of people. You learn it by by repressions, by, by things that have happened to you. And you're like, this is the only way I can cope with it. So I find when it comes to a bully, I always was like... What's your problem? Are we, like, what's? Why are you doing this? Why are you singling me out? And when it when it got past that point, I would get other people involved, like my friends, and uh, even a teacher, my parents, people that, that I believe could help me figure out this situation. And and having those conversations and and exploring those sometimes will will help in a situation where it's like, well. I actually don't really hate you. I'm facing an issue with this, and I'm re- I'm reflecting that on you. And you would never know that unless you talked to that person about it. And what even one time, one of my bullies became one of my best friends. And I was like, "What's your problem? Why are you Why do you keep pushing me? Why you every time I see you, you you throw me into a wall." And he's like, "Oh, blah blah blah," gave me some nonsensical like answer, right? And I was like, "No, why?" Why is it every time you see me, you do this? And it turned out to be something stupid that that really had no relevance on on him actually hating me other than they just wanted to be a friend. They just wanted the attention. And instead of giving negative attention back, I gave positive attention back, positive reinforcement back. And by, by the end of that week, we were kind of a friend and he kind of stood up for me. Like, and and it just turned around in that situation. And I find not every every situation you're going to find yourself in is going to be the same.
0: Yeah, that's great, RJ. I mean, it's so wise beyond your years, like I said. I mean, you know, to identify why people are bullying.
1: But that's hard to do, though. Like, that's not, that is not an easy... No,
0: it takes courage.
1: And, and it, it takes you to be the better person, you need to be the bigger person in that situation when you are being hurt. You know, people can't always see through the hurt and and you have to sometimes place your feelings like in a way where it's like, all right, I'm going to do this, but this might end badly for me. Right. But if I don't do this, I'll never know.
0: You know, I was, I was impressed with uh, Terrence Howard, who's a great actor and plays uh, your coach in Triumph. What was it like for you working with him?
1: You know, he only he only worked for a few days on set. We were able to, to shoot him out pretty quickly. Brought a lot to the set and was a, was a great character for the role. I do had some wild lines, I'll tell you that. But uh, but we had a great time working with him and um and just really like helped bring the story together. That was one of our big issues that we had to come back to. Is is seven years ago we stopped production and came back to it with with Terence and, and a group of, a new group of people and we're able to make it happen and I think it only amplified the story more that we didn't go with the original cast on that
0: well he puts a lot of emotion into the film you know one of the things about advocacy which I've been deeply involved in my whole life and I know that you've also it's it's an important part of your life sometimes advocacy in in 2022, can become very strident and uh, it can be all about the group that you're part of but i happen to think allyship is very important and not everyone is like us and you know we need allies i mean yeah. if you look at the great civil rights leaders someone like martin luther king really understood the importance of of having allies so i, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about allyship and what do you think about it
1: I mean, we can't do this alone. <laughs> like at the end of the day, I mean, yes, certain paths, you do have to walk alone, but we always had those people there. We always have allies. The biggest thing that I, I believe when it comes to disability is that disability doesn't discriminate. It's the one thing that can unite us as a species, as human beings, is that we all face these types of challenges in our future. Like Yes, some of us like me are born with it and and grow up with it and it's it's a very normal thing in my life. Some people not so much, but as someone that's grown up with it and born with it, it is my responsibility to help guide people to, to get that information, to understand that we all face these challenges and we all have these hurdles and it's very easy to be an ally. It doesn't take a lot of time and energy to make a stand and to be that person and to do what's right anyone that's in this world at the end of the day can be an ally and should be an ally but just finding what you believe in find that that key value of what you want to achieve where you want to go and and the impact that you want to have by doing that you're going to find you're not alone in your mission you're not alone to achieve what you're trying to achieve because there are many people that want the same thing And when you start being vocal about it, you find more people are willing to be more vocal about it. Right. And it can happen in a very small instant. Whatever it may be, look for those impacts in your daily life. Find where it's like, all right, I'm just on the street and I'm just walking down and and I just happen to see something, happen to see a person happen. You can be that person that steps out and makes that impact. And by doing that, the ripple effect of that is so much greater than, than you may even realize by, by just being that, are you okay? Like seeing someone crying on the street, seeing seeing someone that's alone, being like, just coming up to someone and being like, hey, are you okay? Do you need something? Like 9 times out of 10, you're gonna hear, I'm fine, I'm okay, I'm good, leave me alone. Those people aren't always ready to, to have that helping hand. But it's that 1 out of 10 that you're going to talk to and you're going to change that person's life and you're going to be that ally for them to evolve, to take it to that next level. And when it comes to something that what we're trying to do, when it comes to diversification in media and and providing opportunities for people and and economic impacts and all these things, I've been very lucky that I've, I've worked around the world working with UNs and in and Russia and Germany and, and Costa Rica and everywhere in between making allies that one day we can make this call and it could be a global front right that we can have this global push and be like yes this is what we need this is what we want but that takes time that takes effort and that takes willingness for you the listener to step out of a realm of comfort and be able to put yourself into a position that you may not want to be in, but may feel responsible for, and that can right. change people's lives. That can that can impact people in such a way that that is unseen and unfortold, and that you can't even realize.
0: Right, that's so wise. You know, I, I know that that within the disability community, you know, uh, the phrase "nothing about us without us" is is very powerful. But at the same time, you know, all of us, uh, everyone in the world has a connection personally to someone with a disability. And as you mentioned previously, you know, this is the one community that most of us, you know, as we age will probably join at some point. Yeah. So it's a powerful community. I, I, I truly believe in allyship. I don't like turning other people away. No. I, I know you're filming in North Carolina right now. Are you able to say about a little bit about what you're doing?
1: Uh, at the moment, I can't. Um, I do have a few other projects that I'm, very, I'm very happy for. I'll, I'll start filming um, those in the next couple of months. But really, I think for me, my, my big thing has been getting Triumph off the ground and, and out and, and doing that. and um, That's been a labor of love for six years now. Right now, I actually I have a pretty big project in Texas that I'm working on at the moment. Just been working a lot, a lot, a lot, lot of
0: work and RJ, what's your dream role? Like, what's a role that you would love to play? So I, I don't necessarily have a dream role per
1: se. Um, you know, I, I was actually just thinking, talking to someone about this last night, and they were talking about Better Call Saul. I was like, you know, I, was, I wouldn't mind going back to the the Breaking Bad days because uh, Better Call Saul is on their last season. Might want to go back to do that. You know what I miss the most is having a set. With a budget, <laughs> I know that I know that's I know that sounds weird, and, and not everyone's going to get it. But but you you wouldn't realize how hard it is to make projects on a shoestring budget with minimal resources. So like being able to just focus on the acting side of it and not have to worry about all right, I got to come up with one hundred fifty thousand dollars by next week for this movie, or we're going to have to halt production. Would be quite nice. <laughs>
0: I get it. I get it. It makes perfect sense, um, RJ. It's been a pleasure to have you as as my guest on All Inclusive. Thank you. Uh, I can't end the interview without asking. I know that your Breaking Bad fans would really want to know. What did you have for breakfast?
1: What did I have for breakfast? I had a I had a Starburst. It was okay. it, it was a, it was a pink one. It was quite nice. I woke up. I had it. It was great nutritious <laughs> very nutritious a bottle of water great I'm, I'm actually see one of my big things is, is I don't like to do things before noon and it's almost noon now and that's i usually have my breakfast later in the date and uh and so some bacon and eggs are are on there my way but yeah that was my truthful breakfast a starburst.
0: Well, RJ, thank you. I wish you a lot of success in what you're doing now. Thank you. Uh, with Triumph, and you know, you've been real groundbreaker in, in the industry, and and I know you'll have a lot more success. So, thank you so much. Wish you a lot of success.
1: Great to see you. Thank you again. It, it's really always a pleasure to be able to 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 work with y'all and the Ruderman Foundation, and and you know, we've we've been friends over the years, and it's great to see the impact that y'all have had in the community. It is something that takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of resources to, to, to face these types of challenges and, and to give people on that awareness. Thank you for the impact that you have in the community. And again, anytime, I'm always a friend and an ally to y'all. And anything y'all
0: need, just let me know. Thanks so much, RJ. All Inclusive is a production of the Ruderman Family Foundation. Our key mission is the full inclusion of people with disabilities in all aspects of society. You can find All Inclusive on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. To view the show notes, transcripts, or to learn more, go to rudermanfoundation.org slash allinclusive. Have an idea for a podcast? Be sure to tweet at JRuderman. Ruderman.